0: Whispers in the Trees is a dark podcast focusing on the great white north, surrounding all of the grisly truths from the kindest place on earth to the head-scratching unknowns hidden beneath the snow. My name is Mads, and join me today on a deep dive into the life, crimes, and death of Bessie Starkman. These are my Whispers in the Trees. Today's case will be including murder, violence, drug, and alcohol mentions. Viewer discretion is advised. Besha Starkman, also known as Bessie Starkman, was born in 1889 or 1890. It's kind of debated depending on where you look. Um, Her tombstone, I believe, says 1890, so we will go with 1890. So she was born then in Poland, immigrating to Canada in the year 1900. She was a bouncing baby girl born to a middle-class family that was destined to become Canada's most high-profile female crime boss. Speaking of that, she was the very first one. She and her common-law spouse, Rocco Perry, ran a drug and alcohol smuggling business during the Prohibition era across Canada and the United States. When she was 18, Bessie married a man named Harry Thompson. The couple had two daughters together, and in 1912, they took in a boarder named Rocco Perry. I believe that just means he was like a tenant of their house at this time. So, yeah. He was an Italian immigrant that started an affair with Starkman very quickly. They got hot and heavy like that. Like, come on, guys. They ran away together, Bessie leaving her husband, daughters, and her Jewish faith behind for this man. He must have been something else. The couple opened up a grocery store of their own by 1916 in a Jewish-Italian neighborhood in Ontario. He first became known to the police for keeping a disorderly house. What this essentially meant was she was charged with running a brothel, which is where female people, female tenants, acted as prostitutes out of the home. Bessie claimed she had no idea what the women were doing at the home, but she was very swiftly convicted. In 1916, the Ontario Temperance Act came into place, making it illegal to own or have any sort of alcohol outside of the home. That sounds pretty boring, but whatever. Hey, whatever. Liquor stores and bars quickly shut down, and Bessie and Rocco saw a new business opportunity, one they believed would be extremely profitable, far more profitable than the grocery store the two of them owned, bootlegging. Rocco became known as the king of bootlegging during this era, and he was known to remove the rule that barred women from joining the mob. Because of this, Bessie became a driving force behind their operation. She would be in charge of money laundering, making deals, and having discussions with other gangs negotiations, and making deals with suppliers of the alcohol, and she covered the payroll of the game. She was a goddamn machine, this woman was. By 1920, 20, that was really well said. By 1920, the couple were able to move into a bigger and nicer home. The two of them spent money on diamonds, fancy cars, a lavish home. They just lived the rich lifestyle. They lived it up until the police came knocking on their door and asked about the bootlegging. Oh, wow. Should have seen that coming. Obviously, the two of them denied having any involvement, but they were charged with perjury. Bessie had her charges dropped, but Rocco received six months in prison. In 1927, at the end of the Prohibition era in Canada, Bessie had to find a new source of income. The drug trade. Couldn't go for something legal. Couldn't do the grocery store again. They went with the drug trade. She was held in 1929 by the RCMP for a drug raid, but was ultimately released due to a lack of evidence. On August 13, 1929, the couple were stepping from their car after an event. It was just before midnight as Bessie was met by two men and shotgun fire blazon. Rocco was heard by a neighbor that was walking their dog that Bessie had been shot. It's thought that the men shot Bessie and then instantly got into a getaway car, driving off so she had to have been the intended target. Makes kind of sense, because what else would they have done? If they got into the house, why didn't they rob the place? Why didn't they shoot Rocco? Why didn't they do anything else? Her killers were never found, and their true motive was never uncovered. And again, there was nothing missing from the lavish home, and Rocco Perry himself had not been hurt. This led many to speculate that she could have been shot by angry members of her own gang, or she was said to have a debt to some gangsters from Rochester, New York after a drug deal gone wrong. Or maybe her husband, Harry Thompson, the one she left for Rocco Perry was involved. Or maybe Rocco Perry himself was involved, because again, he wasn't touched. Why wasn't he touched if it was an angry gang member? Due to a drug deal gone wrong in Rochester, New York, Why, again, wasn't Rocco hurt? Rocco was Bessie's second hand, or Bessie was Rocco's second hand. They were the king and queen. Likely, they both would have been targeted at this time. So, why would they run away before hitting him? It is possible that there were some salty men inside the gang still angry that Rocco had changed the rules and allowed Bessie to be involved despite the fact that she was a woman. They could have been angry that a woman at this time was so successful in running what was thought to be a man's business. So they targeted the woman, not the man who changed the rule. Again, not making much sense in my head unless... They just really liked Rocco? Hmm, something seems a little off here to me. It is also said that it was Rocco who turned his wife's funeral, or I shouldn't say wife, his common-law spouse. His, but she, he called her his wife. He turned his common-law spouse's funeral into the spectacle it would become. He had taxis available for every Italian man who wished to attend and allowed 10,000 people into his home to see his wife over the three-day period of mourning before she was buried. At one point, people were said to actually hold the doors closed against the onlookers who flocked to see her on these days. She is buried in the Ahav Zedek Cemetery in Hamilton. Again, I'm very sorry if I have butchered this name. I tried looking it up before I pronounced it, but I'm terrible with names. I'm doing my best out here. More than 20,000 people attended the funeral. This is double the amount of people who actually saw the body while it was in that three-day period beforehand. So many people attended the funeral, the streets flooded with the crowds. A reporter for the Toronto Star reported that the procession of cars that brought Bessie to the funeral was so long that when the first car arrived at the cemetery, the last had yet to leave Bessie's home around six kilometers away. The hearse actually broke down one and a half kilometers from the cemetery and onlookers swarmed to try and get a final view of the famed Bessie Starkman. It is said that police actually needed to be called so that the funeral could progress when it was time, as too many people wanted to get one final look at the famed mob queen. Rocco's brother-in-law, Mike Serge, was in prison on a three-month sentence for having alcohol in his possession during the Prohibition era. He was sentenced the day that Bessie was shot, and he was actually temporarily released so that he could attend the funeral. He was brought to and from the event by the sheriff's officer, Jim Peelry, who would also show his kindness to the family by being the one to tow the hearse when it had broken down. Because of the controversy surrounding her life and the fact that her common-law husband was not Jewish, the local rabbi refused to bury her. They actually had to go and find a visiting rabbi who just happened to be in the city at the time to come in and do the burial for them. There was no cantor, which is a trained vocalist in the Jewish faith, who will sing prayers and religious songs. Very important at a funeral. The rabbi also did not give a eulogy, and when she was brought to the plot, she was not taken to the Holy House, which is a temple or small building where the Jewish dead go through a sanctification before burial. Usually here the bodies will be washed and ceremonies are performed to make them holy. This ritual did not happen for Bessie. She would then be assigned the burial plot next to a fence post, as far away from the other burial sites as they could possibly put her. I guess they were ashamed to have her there, whatever. On her headstone, she originally had Rocco's last name, stating Bessie Starkman Perry, but since then, the second name has been removed. It now only says Bessie Starkman. It's said that Rocco spent an estimated $3,000 on the flowers for the funeral, putting on an extravagant show of wealth. There were said to be exotic blooms, and in their midst sat a banner, and written in gold was the message to my wife. He tried to follow Jewish traditions as best as he could, having he and the other men in the temple wear hats, as they could not wear yarmulkes, as they themselves were not Jewish. They tried to respect Bessie like this. They tried to respect her Jewish faith this way. Or was it just a show? When the pallbearers tried to get the body to the gravesite, they actually had a fight with the rabbis because the rabbis were giving their final um, prayers. And as this happened, the Italian men, who were the pallbearers at this time, held up their arms in a cross, which was a huge insult to the Jewish rabbis. They then, the rabbis, looked at the men and just said, get out. Get out of here. Get the body out of here. Get it out. They then took Bessie to the gravesite they had, fighting through the crowds. Literal fist fights and angry people fought to try and get another close-up look at the famous Bessie Starkman. I can only imagine what the people who were there to actually bury this woman, the people who actually cared for Bessie and wanted a true final goodbye were feeling as they were in the midst of this chaotic spectacle as they finally lowered Bessie into the ground Rocco just lost control the overbearing heat of the summer sun in ontario got to him and he nearly keeled over into the grave his sight was ripped as he was pulled back from the crowd family members beating back the crowd As onlookers tried to figure out what was going on, the family of Rocco dragged him to the car as they opened up his shirt, opened up his suit. They were screaming for water, trying to get him away from the scene and just trying to look after him. It said that they were also whispering and muttering small endearments to him and just trying to calm him down. While all of this was happening with Rocco... Both of Bessie's daughters were just wailing over the loss of their mother until they fainted, just wailing and wailing and wailing until they collapsed under the heat of the Ontario sun. Friends also had to fight off crowds from viewing the women, wanting to figure out what was going on. When they woke up, they were then led to the side of the grave, where they sat in complete silence through the rest of the funeral, just staring at their mother until they couldn't anymore. After the funeral, Rocco donated all of the flowers he had, and sent them to various hospitals so that they could bring someone else happiness through their dark times. Through this, was Rocco trying to show off his wealth and coping with the loss of his love through extravagance and excess? Everyone copes differently. It's possible that he was trying to bring in as many people as he could. Was he just trying to bring in all of these crowds and as many Italian mafia people that he knew, as many people in the mob that he knew? just trying to get support and lost control of the numbers? Or was he trying to disguise his trail by burying it under crowds and flowers? We'll never know for certain, but what we do know for certain is that Bessie Starkman was a successful woman who used her brain in all the wrong ways. Imagine if she had only used those thoughts in her head to try and get rich the proper way. She likely wouldn't have had the ability to do it as quickly as she did, but damn, she wouldn't have reached the horrific violent end that she did. If you or anyone else are suffering from violence, please reach out for help at your local helplines. You can find your province-specific ones at www.dawncanada.net forward slash issues forward slash crisis dash hotlines forward slash. Again, www.dawncanada.net Canada.net/issues/crisis-hotlines/ this website has all of the hotlines and resources you can possibly find for Canada listed by province to help with different types of abuse. You deserve all of the help that you can possibly get. You or someone you know is suffering from a mental health crisis or need someone to talk to about anything at any time you can dial 833-456-4566 for the Canadian Suicide Prevention Hotline. This is available 24-7, 365. They are available in English or French. Again, 833-456-4566. And for my American listeners, they can reach their hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Again, one 800 273 273-8255. Again, they are open 24 7, 365. But if you feel it is more severe, please dial 911 or visit your local emergency room. You deserve all of the help that even you do not feel you deserve. You are the most important person in your life. Look after yourself out there. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe.